0: I used to live out in Washington State, sort of inland uh, in in America. And it was kind of about this time of year, I guess. You're seeing right now all the hail bales being picked up. And uh, I love this picture because it reminds me of, of of a big area of Washington State called the Palouse. It stretches through a few states. And the Palouse is sort of a rich, fertile rolling hills, which is predominantly for wheat farming. And I don't know whether you can see it, but there's two combine harvesters. Quickly trying to get the harvest in as the storm clouds uh, are coming. And it's a picture about opportunity. Uh, There's plenty of harvest, but urgency. Uh, There are storm clouds coming that could damage the harvest, and so they have to get busy and get it in. So you've got two combine harvesters trying to plow. I love combine harvesters, it's just something awesome about combine harvesters. If I had land, I'd buy one, but I don't have land. that they can just gather in the harvest like that. As a pastor, you've got to love combine harvesters. <laughs> See, this is a message not just for farmers about opportunity and urgency. It's a message for all disciples of the Lord Jesus. I want to show you why that is. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And you'll find that on page 974. Matthew chapter 9, page 974. I'm going to read from uh, verse 35 to 38. This is where we've got to in our preaching through Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So the the little numbers are verses. The big numbers are chapters. So the bottom right-hand corner, verse little number 35, that's where we're going to begin. Jesus went through all the towns and villages To send out workers into his harvest field. Well, this is God's word. Keep your open this morning. I want us to see three things in these verses. I want us to see the identity of Jesus, uh, an example to follow, and a command to obey. That's where we're going this morning. Let's think about this first bit the identity of Jesus. What we have here is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Over the last five chapters, Matthew's been giving us a sort of a taste of what those days were like in the north of Israel, in Galilee, uh, when Jesus was walking around. So turn back with me to the beginning, because it gives us a wonderful summary statement at the start. If you turn back to chapter 4 and verse 23, that's page 968. And you see there in chapter 4, verse 23, this lovely summary statement. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. Think about that as you watch the news. And people brought to him all who were ill, with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, The demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. (coughs) Excuse me. Doctor Who is uh, back on telly. And if you had a TARDIS that could move through space and time, who would not want to go back to these days? Wouldn't this be an incredible I mean, what would it be like to have listened to Jesus teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom? What would it have been like? Well, we don't have YouTube clips. But actually what we have is is Matthew has got got us in in the front of the crowd. He's positioned us there so that we can actually hear what Jesus taught. And it's right here in chapters five. Uh, To 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You you get to be there and listen to exactly what Jesus said. And what would it have been like to have witnessed those amazing miracles, those healings, Uh, seeing Jesus heal every disease and, and, and free those who are demon possessed? What would it have been like? Well, actually, Matthew's given us a fly on the wall kind of uh, documentary in chapters 8 and 9 we've actually zoomed in we've had privileged access we've actually gone into the house where jesus is and we've seen exactly what jesus did as he specifically healed people it is an incredible thing that we have here Uh, it's 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 like a tardis it's taken us to see and hear jesus teaching see his awesome miracles and so uh, after those specifics, Matthew pulls back again to remind us that Jesus did more than just uh, teach one sermon, and he did more than just do a few specific healings. And so back to chapter 9, the section we just read, verse 35, we have again this summary statement that kind of caps the beginning and the end. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This was an extensive ministry and no doubt an exhausting one. Josephus, a first century historian, uh, writes that around this time, Galilee was a thickly populated area. I don't know whether you imagine it's of a few little farmers, but actually the evidence is it was a densely populated region. Uh, Josephus says that there were about 204 towns and villages, none of which had a population less than 15,000 people. So, I mean, maths is shaky, but that's about 3 million people in this region. That's not a, 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 a thinly sparse area. And Matthew says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And so think about that. Think about the work that that involved. I mean, even if you knocked off two towns a day, uh, you're not going to, I mean, it's going to take you over four months, isn't it, to get around all that? And as he's going about this work, he's constantly being pressed upon by the crowds. As we read at the beginning, news was spreading about Jesus all around that region, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and even into Syria, and crowds were following Jesus as he went. Think how exhausting that would be. Now, why did he do this work? Why did he keep pressing on to this extensive, wider ministry? Well, the answer of what motivated him is there in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What motivated Jesus? What was it? One word? Compassion. Compassion is the word, isn't it? four times in matthew's account this word compassion is used exclusively by jesus for jesus he was moved and motivated as he looked at the crowds to see their needs to see their plight and he had deep affection and concern for them for them and that's what motivated him to keep pushing out day after day going to all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease that was brought to him. How incredible. Now what I want to show you this morning is firstly how this reveals the identity of Jesus. Uh, that it actually shows that Jesus is the true king, that he's the one that God appointed to rule over his people. See, what did Jesus see? He saw the crowds and he thought they were like, like a flock of sheep that had no shepherds, no Leaders to care for them. Uh, He saw people who were wounded, damaged, leaderless, cast down, easy prey for others to take advantage of them and abuse. They were harassed and helpless. That's what he saw. Now, that phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, is actually pregnant with meaning and significance. Uh, Way earlier, when God called Moses and uh, Moses led the people through the wilderness and they got to the edge of the promised land and and God revealed to Moses that actually he was not going to enter the promised land himself. Moses uh, said to the Lord this in uh, Numbers chapter 27. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so God points Moses to Joshua to be the new leader of the people. And eventually they move into the land. They enter into the promised land. And in the early days of kingship, uh, the great king, of course, was King David, wasn't it? Who? What did he start off as? What was David's first job? He was a shepherd over his father's flocks. And God took a shepherd over his flocks and says, I will make you a shepherd of my flock, the nation of Israel. And he became the great king that God promised would have an everlasting kingdom through his forebears, through his uh, those who came after him. But after hundreds of years, the, the kings uh, that followed did not uh, live up to Uh, what was expected and the people did not obey God and they got kicked out of the land and uh, and so we get to that passage in Ezekiel that we read earlier in the service written around 500 BC 500 years before the coming of Christ and as we read it did you notice that um, God tells Ezekiel that he is to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel at his time Because they used their leadership position not to care for the flock, but to care for themselves. They were literally fleecing the flock for their own benefit. Uh, They received material benefit. They got all the the, the goodies from caring for the the, the flock. But they refused to strengthen the weak. They refused to heal the sick, to bind up the injured. They didn't search for the strays. They ruled them harshly and brutally. So the flock was scattered all over the place. And so God declares you know what you've done such a lousy job i myself am going to come and shepherd the people god promises he's going to come he's going to search for his sheep he's going to look after them and god promises to come he's going to gather the scattered sheep and he's going to do all this through a new shepherd king in the line of David. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 23 says this, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So back to Matthew chapter 9, 500 years on. Do you see the significance? As Jesus looks out on the, on, on the, on the crowds and says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. It is a, it's a judgment and a warning against the current leadership of their day. He's saying they're just as bad as the leaders in Ezekiel's day. They're just as poor at caring for the flock. And we had a little taste of that if you were here last week. As we saw how they observed uh, Jesus' amazing teaching, saw Jesus' amazing miracles. And what was their judgment? Oh, he's, uh, he's doing this by the powers of evil. He's in, he's in cahoots with the devil. That's how perverse their judgment was. And as Jesus looks out and sees sheep without a shepherd, it is a, it is a judgment and a warning uh, to the leaders of, of his day that they were no better, that they were useless. And it was, secondly, a, a kind of a notice to these old shepherds that the day had come. God had now come to shepherd his people through Jesus, the Messiah King. It's a, it's a hazard of Row Street, that sound. It reminds you that they're still sheep without a shepherd. Um, so God has promised to gather them together, and he's going to do it through a Messiah king. And actually, this compassionate response of Jesus, he looks at the crowd, is actually another identifying mark that this is that king. His response to the crowd that shows that this is the one that God promised to send. This is it. God has come in King Jesus. And that is why uh, Jesus was motivated to do this extensive ministry uh, of going to all the towns and villages. What motivated him to do this? Well, because they were shepherdless people. And what shepherdless people need is someone who will teach them the truth so that they'll no longer live in darkness and ignorance. What shepherdless people need is is salvation, because shepherdless people wander far from God. Our sin separates us from God, And, and it deforms us as people. It damages us, and so we are scattered, damaged people who need to hear this wonderful good news of the kingdom, that there's a way back to God. There's a way that we can be restored back to God. There's a way that our lives can begin to be put back together, redeemed and transformed and made whole. And this good news of the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming was not something he just taught, he modeled in his healings. Each of these Uh, healings and miracles were a sign of what would happen when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness. This is what the world's going to look like. A world of perfect relationships without disease, without suffering, without death. And it was his compassion that led Jesus not just to an exhausting ministry of, of preaching and teaching, but a ministry of walking to Jerusalem and walking to the cross so that he would courageously die to achieve this forgiveness of sins that would enable this restored relationship to happen it was his compassion on the lost and scattered sheep that would take him to the cross to be the only savior for sinners and that is the compassion of jesus and 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 those who grab hold of christ this uh, crucified and risen king receive this forgiveness receive this welcome enter into God's kingdom in John's gospel Jesus uh, speaks of being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, I love that we're not here just as a crowd we're here as individuals and this good shepherd uh, chose to go to the cross because there were specific named sheep that he was dying to save that's how personal is his compassion and his love and his grace so that all who trust jesus as their savior can can use the words of psalm 23 which we sung earlier when you trust christ you can say this the lord's my shepherd and so i shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see what a wonderful thing it is to have uh, this Jesus as your king? What an amazing thing to have him as your shepherd ruler. To know that he's the one who provides, he's the one who leads, he's the one who restores, he guides us, he never leaves us even in the darkest moments, even as we uh, face and Death itself, we do not need to fear, for we know that goodness and love will follow us uh, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ultimate security is ours if we submit to King Jesus and receive his forgiveness. What an amazing thing to be, to say, Jesus is my king. Is he your king? Is he your Shepherd? What an amazing thing to have him. If he's not, why don't you turn to him today? Why would you not? Notice with me though that here is not simply Jesus' identity but here's an example to follow. His compassion on the crowds. Uh, Last week we saw a little video of Contagious, uh, the week of conference that we had and we had seminars where we thought about the amazing salvation chain in Romans chapter 8 and we were thinking about how God's big predestining plan is that he wants to make us like Jesus he's conforming us to the image of his son this is God's great big plan uh, we were originally created by God to be image bearers who were like God to reflect his character in the world uh, that got sidetracked by our sin and rebellion and God's amazing plan is that he's achieved the salvation and he's got a big predestined plan to make us more like Jesus and this is what Jesus is like what's Jesus like as he sees the crowds he's filled with compassion what are we like as we look at the hundreds of thousands of lost sheep in Edinburgh I wonder what is our response what does it mean not to have Jesus as your king what does it mean well to say the Lord's not my shepherd I'm in terrible want there's no security there's no real direction in my life I- I'm wandering in the dark and when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death fear will grip me and take hold of me because I'm completely on my own and there's no hope that I will dwell in the house of the Lord at all how terrible terrible to be in such a state do we look on the crowds and feel pity for they're like sheep without a shepherd what did people see in Rotherham for over a decade those in responsibility in the community they heard stories of sexual exploitation and what did they see as young teenage girls came before them I think they just saw out of control, drunken, sexually promiscuous teenage girls who liked older men. Young people for whom not much could be expected. And so claims were not taken seriously or ignored. And so 1,400 girls have been sexually and violently abused at the hands of wicked men. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's people's state, isn't it? What do you see when you look at the photos of men um, who grew up in Britain and go out and fight for Islamic State? What do you see? On Newsnight last week, there, were, there was an extended interview with one British man now in Iraq. What had drawn him to go and, uh, go and join the forces and be boasting... Uh, about beheading and conquest well his response was heartbreaking life back in Britain he said it just seemed pointless just watching videos and playing computer games and to use his exact words we were like sheep without a shepherd but now they had a cause now they had a purpose in their lives for Allah and to bring in this caliphate You see, there are lots of false shepherds who are eager to take straying sheep. Wicked shepherds in the world who would lead people to destroy and hate people without cause. And we're bearing the consequences as the threat level goes up. What do you see when you see gay pride marches and people campaigning for LGBT? do you just feel angry that marriage has been redefined do you feel disgust or are we like Jesus seeing sheep without a shepherd harassed and helpless Now notice with me that the compassion of Christ turns to a call to prayer doesn't it here's a command to obey verse 37 then jesus said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field jesus saw a harvest crop of people who were ripe to be brought into the kingdom of god but what's the problem none of workers we need another combine harvester or three or four and what's the solution now if it was us I wonder whether we would come up with some big strategic plan do you know what we need is uh, some more evangelism training uh, we need to recruit more evangelists and preachers, we need to encourage more people to do ministry apprenticeships uh, we need to maybe uh, strengthen our local theological colleges encourage more people to go to theological college and there is a place for all of these things, but they're all secondary things, aren't they? There's a primary thing that must be in place first, and here it is: it is to pray. Jesus tells his disciples to pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust out labourers. I find, I find this amusing when I when I looked at it, but you know the very word that uh, when 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 it. When it says that Jesus casts out evil spirits from people, that's the same word used here for thrust. (laughs) Pray to the Lord of harvest that he will expel workers into the harvest fields. I think Jesus knows that we're a bit reticent, doesn't he? The first thing to do is Pray. He could have said, pray that lots of people will get saved. But actually, he says, pray for more workers. Because God uses means. God uses people to gather lost people into his kingdom. And so pray to the Lord of Harvest that many more workers will be sent out. And gather in the new people of God into his everlasting kingdom. So it's quite a straightforward section really, isn't it? The identity of Jesus, he's God's king. An example to follow, compassion and a command to obey, to pray. It's simple. Why is it we so often forget this prayer? Can I ask you to commit to this prayer this week? It's kind of the other Lord's Prayer, isn't it? We often recite the Lord's Prayer. Well, here's another Lord's Prayer that he told us to pray. Each morning as you head to work this week, and you think about work, or if you wake up as a pensioner and say to yourself, I'm so glad I'm not working today, and think about the work that you used to do, why don't you pray this prayer, Lord, please send out workers from Charlotte Chapel into your harvest fields. Would you commit to that response this week, every morning this week as you wake up and think about heading to work? Or maybe as you drive along and see the fields with all the hay and rolled up bales, pray, Lord, please send out workers from Charlotte Chapel into your harvest field. You know, it's a great joy to welcome Matt today. But if the solution is just employing one more person on the staff team, it's going to be pretty hopeless, isn't it? Uh, Praying for the Lord of Harvest is is more than appointing new pastors. We're pretty hopeless and limited, actually. Think about the lost in this city. Well, That's too overwhelming. Well, just think about some of your friends and family in this city. Think about some of the people you work with. How are they going to hear the good news of the kingdom? If it's just down to Matt, me, and Liam, and Rachel, and we're not going to get into your workplaces are we are we going to meet these people how's it going to happen well first thing to do pray lord please send out workers from charlotte chapel into your harvest field would you commit to doing that every morning this week do you know what if we start praying this as a regular prayer what's going to begin to happen we'll start praying lord please send us oh did i say that Lord, please send us into your harvest field. Now, um, some, some people have said to me uh, this, Paul, none of my friends and family are interested. I've tried. Well, let's get out more and meet new friends. What did Jesus do? He went to all the towns and villages teaching proclaiming the good news demonstrating it and healing now I, I can't heal uh, but I can share the good news Eh? Uh, there was a video discussion uh, we've been going through a little series in our fellowship groups uh, six steps to loving your church and a couple of weeks back there was a little Uh, thing about inviting people to church have you ever thought about inviting people to church and there was a great little video and uh, one of the, the, the gentlemen in the videos made this point, actually for many people inviting people to church is a very strange thing because actually they don't invite people to anything at all and I was quite convicted about that that's probably true isn't it so here's an idea what do you enjoy doing what's fun for you is there a concert or an event coming up? Well, instead of just buying a ticket for yourself, why don't you buy a couple more tickets and to say to some of your friends who don't know Jesus yet, hey, I've got this fun thing coming along. Do you want to come along with me? You're going to go anyway. What a great investment. Let's begin inviting people just to fun things with us. And they won't, won't, quite seem, won't seem quite so strange when we invite them to an event where we... Where we Share the gospel with them. But where does it start? It starts with this prayer, doesn't it? Will you commit to it this week? If you're not trusting Christ today, why don't you do it today? Come and speak to me if you don't know how to do it. He is the greatest king and saviour. Let's pray.